Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin Studio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today on the show, we're going to talk a little about soybean, fungicides, and insecticides. But, I mean, honestly, we could have just left this as a topic, fungicides and insecticides, because most soybean fungicides and insecticides, those products get used in other crops as well. So we're going to talk about some of the disease and insect issues going on in soybeans that, like I say, do happen in other crops, and the solutions you'll find are often very similar as well. So we'll get to that throughout the show today. We will also get to the Ag PhD mailbag just shortly here. If you've got a question for us, you can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can also find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Or if you'd like to call into the show today, our number is 844-44-AGPHD. Again, that's 844-442-4743. As we start the growing season here, a lot of people have been talking the last few years about planting soybeans earlier. We've been a big fan of that for a long time. Now... In our opinion, <laughs> and as agronomists, we hate to make recommendations that are going to push you too far beyond, for example, your insurance requirements. So I would say, though, in some areas, you can pay a little bit more money, and it's not very much, and you can actually plant earlier than your listed crop insurance date, like for soybeans, for example. But you think about it, when you're going to plant early, your seed is is going to sit in the ground longer, odds are, because the ground is colder. So it's going to take longer for that seed to get out. The longer it takes for it to get out, the more chance it has for diseases and insects to hit it before it gets out of the ground. So a lot of times people say, well, seed treatments would pay better when that that seed is planted earlier. And you could make the argument that that's true. But on the other hand, I also say, well, Let's think about this for just a second. With disease control in particular, the soybean seed treatments, they last a couple of months now, typically. So if you have delayed planting, well, why is it delayed? It's only delayed for one reason, most likely. I mean, obviously, unless your planter broke down. But chances are it's delayed because of wet weather. Well, in wet weather, you're more likely to have disease. So anyway, I, like I say, I can make the argument both ways, but the fact of the matter is there are a lot of diseases and insects that can impact a soybean crop, both while your seed is in the ground and unfortunately, even after that seed gets up. So again, we'll talk today throughout the show about soybean fungicides and insecticides. And again, if you don't raise soybeans, a lot of these same fungicides and insecticides could get used in whatever crop you are raising as well, or at least those modes of action, maybe those active ingredients. Right now, though, let's hit the Egg PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, you talked about planting in colder soils there, Brian. We had this comment come in. Hey, you guys were talking about about planting in cold soils on TV last month, but you didn't mention anything about planting depth. Do you vary the planting depth when you're planting into cold soils? Okay, so there is a theory out there. People will say, you know what, I'm going to plant more shallow when it's cold out. We do not subscribe to that theory, and here are the couple of reasons why. Number one, when you just simply look at yield data over the years, when seed is planted at the right depth, then you get higher yields, just flat out. When The other main reason, like when we talk about corn, for example, and early planting of corn, 
corn's, I mean, honestly, when you look at it and you look at the, the root system and how it grows and everything, it's kind of a weird plant. And here's what I mean by that. Normally we think about, okay, there's a seed and then above it is the shoot and below it are, are the roots, right? Well, that's not the case with corn. The main root system of the plant is called the nodal roots and they come out above the seed. <laughs> so it's kind of weird. And where I'm going with this is you need about three quarters of an inch for all the nodal roots to come out. You also need about three quarters of an inch for the mesocotyl to grow before it starts the nodal roots. So what I'm saying is three quarters of an inch plus three quarters of an inch is an inch and a half. If you plant more shallow than an inch and a half, let's say you plant it an inch deep, then the odds are extremely high. You're going to have some nodal roots, maybe not a lot, but some of your nodal roots are going to be above ground. That's not good. These are not brace roots we're talking about. These are nodal roots. So you have to plant at least an inch and a half deep in order to keep the main root system of the plant below ground. You'll have a more stable plant. You'll just have higher yields because you're going to have more water and nutrients going into the plant as well. And at the max depth, usually we like talking about two and a half inches. So inch and a half to two and a half, that's typically where we want to be, regardless of whether it is hot or cold. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, I get this one in from Eric. He said, I'm over in southeast Minnesota. I'm going to be putting a little bit of alfalfa in this year. I've got Roundup Ready alfalfa seed, but my biggest weed problem is water hemp. Last year I had corn. I used Callisto for water hemp control. It worked well, uh, but my fear in the alfalfa is a lot of the control methods appear to be pre-emerge. I'm not sure I'll have the new alfalfa at the correct stage for a pre-emergent application. The water hemp will likely already be growing before the alfalfa is four to six inches tall. Yep, you're right. And there's nothing you can kill water hemp well with post-emerge So in alfalfa. So our suggestion, and let's just put it this way. I prefer to be blunt. I'm just going to tell you like it is. And let's just pretend that I was your agronomist. I've been working with you for 20 years. Hopefully you trust me. And I, I mean, we've been working together for a long time. I just lay it out for you like this. Either put Eptam down at the full labeled rate or don't put the alfalfa into a field that's loaded with water hemp because you're going to be fighting it post-emerge. You're not going to get the tonnage you want. You're not going to get the life of the stand you want because the water hemp's going to hurt that alfalfa. So if you start with Eptam, you're going to start with a clean field, and it's going to stay clean for a long time, and hopefully the alfalfa gets enough ahead of it that you'll be in good shape. But yeah, post-emerge, I mean, the best thing I can tell you is maybe buctrol plus an ounce of butyrac, and that's going to be marginal at best. But otherwise, Roundup, uh, and Raptor are your other two choices. Well, chances are it's ALS resistant and Roundup resistant, so that's probably not going to work. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back talking fungicides and insecticides. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it 
depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Broadcasting from the Morton Studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Talking about insecticides and fungicides in soybeans on today's show. Let's start with the fungicides because we've got a lot of stuff to talk here uh, about. Uh, let's bring on Aubrey Brown with BASF to talk just a little bit about this. Aubrey, thanks for joining us. Oh, sure thing. Happy to be here. Hey, y'all. All right. We're talking fungicides here in soybeans and, and just a couple things. First of all, uh, disease protection is one thing. Plant health benefits are a whole nother thing. And honestly, a lot of farmers we talk to say, I don't really have too much disease problem in beans where I farm. The plant health benefits, though, I'm seeing a win every year. Uh, what do you see, Aubrey, when it comes to, to plant health benefits with soybeans and fungicide use? Yeah, that's definitely something that we're well aware of at BASF. Plant health benefits are something that we strive to deliver to growers. Our core products, our core fungicidal products that are catered to the Midwest absolutely include Headline. It's our Group 11 QOI fungicide, and it, it brings that plant health aspect to the soybean field. And it does this by suppressing ethylene production, opening the stomata, and then increasing net photosynthesis. So that net photosynthesis allows for additional growth and pod development, but at the same time, you get reduced canopy temperatures, and these reduced canopy temperatures help with drought mitigation. So by doing all those things at the end of the season, what you can expect is increased yield with or without the presence of disease. 
you know, it makes a big difference when we get these fungicides out there for, like you mentioned, the plant health benefits. But there, there's growing, getting to be more disease pressure, even as you come further north. I mean, mm-hmm. growers in the south and in the east have, have faced a, a number of different diseases for, for quite a few years. But we're seeing more frog eye leaf yeah. spot really throughout uh, where, where soybeans are grown. We saw it well up into North Dakota and northern Minnesota last year. Uh, and and it, it, depending on weather and winds and all these things, it, it can certainly be a bad thing. Uh, talk to us about that. When you've got some of these tough diseases, uh, some that are even showing some resistance to different chemistries, uh, obviously we should be looking for some good answers. Yeah, absolutely. Whenever you go to apply a fungicide, what you want to think about is the abiotic factors that are going to limit yield. Those are your environmental factors, the non-disease-causing agents such as drought, hail damage, overusage of water, but also the biotic factors such as the diseases that you listed, frog eye leaf spot, frog eye leaf spot that has resistant strains within the population, and also septoria brown spot is uh, one that we're keeping a close eye on. For our fungicides, for our BASF fungicides, when we make an application with these fungicides, the goal is to be able to provide protection for both biotic and abiotic factors. Whenever you apply that fungicide, we have a fungicidal premixes. So Revitech is one of our products that has a group 3, a group 7, and a group 11 fungicide. This premix allows a grower to feel secure in the fact that they're not only getting biotic protection but also abiotic protection. The application timing is around R3 and so that timing has been field tested to show okay this is the best and most optimal time so that you can preventatively manage diseases before you'll have an infestation or a disease outbreak. A lot of the times diseases have a latent period, so the diseases that we listed, they have a latent period. What that means is infections already started to occur before you can actually begin to really see that outbreak. By planning and scheduling a preventative application, your grower can feel secure that they'll be able to see the expected yields at the end of the season, yields that aren't going to be as heavily limited by factors such as disease and and, a, and abiotic factors. And so that's really what our research does. Is we work to secure those factors by mitigating those two things. Uh, Aubrey, you're right on the money here. The planned preventative treatment is, it, we're seeing it in yeah. weed control that, oh yeah, we got to get those residuals out there, uh, even post-emerge to try to extend what kind of control we've got. We see the same thing with these fungicides. I know uh, we aren't talking corn today, but uh, the guys that, that have tar spot are saying the same things. Man, we got to be out there ahead. We got to time this thing right. Uh, and you mentioned R3 as a, a real key timing in soybeans. Uh, it is where historically we've seen the best gain on the single application of fungicide in soybeans. We're talking with Aubrey Brown here with BASF. Aubrey, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Of course. Anytime. Happy to be here. You bet. Uh, sit down. Uh, we've got Camille Lambert right now with us with FMC, uh, also kind of down in the, the Mid-South area. How are you doing, Camille? Doing good. How are you guys today? We are doing well. We're doing well. All right. You know, we're thinking about a couple of things, fungicides and insecticides in soybeans. And, and I want to ask you on the insecticides, 
Uh, obviously, there's been widespread use of pyrethroids for many years. Cost-wise, farmers tend to, to lean that way. There, there's some of the cheaper options out there, but there are certainly some other options that we're looking at now, too, and different modes of action we can rotate to. What do you see in soybeans? What what modes of action should we be looking at? And, and maybe talk a little bit about specific products, too. Sure. So I think, especially as you're moving into the South, we can we can pretty much write it down that stink bugs are going to be a, a pretty big factor for us every year. So specifically speaking about insects that have piercing, sucking mouth parts. So what you're looking for is, is really injury on the pods. So these insects will come in and they, they put their little piercing mouth part into the pods and they're literally sucking weight out of, out of the pods and limiting yield right away. And so they can also leave behind certain, certain um, enzymes that can cause green stem syndrome and other issues. So we want to make sure we keep those insects controlled. There are also, um, several different um, leaf tissue eating insects like Japanese beetles um, that can get pretty bad from year to year. And so it depends um, on what your threshold levels are for those specific pests. But uh, in my territory, we can pretty much bank on, on having pretty high levels every year, especially after coming out of a drought last year. I think we're going to need to keep our eye on certain pests such as grasshoppers um, when we have a dry year followed by another dry year. So, you know, you, you don't know what this year is going to bring. Um, we're just getting the seed in the ground. But if we have a dry year after a dry year, um, we can go ahead and just um, plan to have a, an increased level of certain pests. And so we do have a good range of insecticides at FMC. Um, so we've got We've got several several brands that you probably have heard of. Mustang Max has been a big one that we've used for many years on um, soybean acres. We've got a newer product called Elevest. Um, it's been really, really good for us. It's, it is going to be your premium product. Um, it's got two different modes of action. You've got Bifenthrin, which is your capture product that you're probably used to hearing about. Um, and then you've got a Group 28, which is uh, Chlorantrillin. Nilipro, I can never get that word out, but you've got two different modes of action that are going to give you really good, not only fast knockdown, but you're going to get a good residual from that. Um, Hero is another one. So you've got Zeta Cypermethrin plus Bacinthrin, which would be capture. And it's really important to just kind of know what modes of action you've been using. Just like we talk about with herbicides or fungicides, we want to make sure that we're continuing to adjust our program so that we're not putting the same thing out year after year, getting less kill over time. You know, one of the important things here with insects is just scouting and being out there timely. And we were just talking about right. with fungicides. A lot of times we can say, hey, this growth stage is key. I'm going to put on an application there and I don't even have to see any disease. I know I'm just going to get out there with insects and insecticides. We want to see some bugs before we spray. We don't want to just spray because oh, it's fun to spray. Uh, let's go do it with bugs. We want to be out there scouting and you know what this year and the soybean price and the way things are, uh, the economic threshold becomes so important. So I know we have so many growers looking at what's the cost going to be on some of these products and what's my return on investment. And you threw out a new one for us to consider that uh, I would say we aren't getting enough comments about Elevest from growers. It's certainly something to look at with a couple different modes of action there, including a group 28. So you get something different on your farm so you can fight off anything that could be resistant to uh, a pyrethroid or any other mode of action. Talking with Camille Lambert here with FMC. Camille, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. 
Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Get what you spray for results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Mom's got a new case IH tractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Applying nitrogen in my planter is an important part of our system. It's efficient and puts nitrogen right in the root zone. Hi, Greg Souter. 360 tanks make on-planter nitrogen much easier. Those 700-gallon tanks keep the tractor balanced, distributing weight evenly over the axles, and they give me great visibility. Plus, with the narrow transport width, mailboxes are safe. Take a good look at 360 Yield Center tractor tanks and see how they help boost efficiency at planting time. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are talking soybean, fungicides, and insecticides here in the Morton studio. And I know it's a little bit of time away from when we're going to be doing these foliar applications. And and that's fine, but we do need to plan ahead. I like one of the comments I took from last segment was, we got to plan ahead. These, these should be planned approaches here. Now, the insecticides, of course, you're going to be scouting. But when it comes to disease control, we want to be up front. We want to have products that are going to last, and we want to layer them up in areas where we really need to. i got Zach Trower on with us right now with Syngenta. Hey, Zach, thanks for joining us. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, when you think about these fungicides, I, I remember way back in the day we would use straight quadris, and it seems like it's been forever ago that that sw switched to quilt, and now it's been quite a few years actually using three modes of action with, with some of the products that are out there today, uh, whether it's a Miravis Neo or a Trivapro or others. Uh, when when we look at this strategy as, as we've moved to multiple mode of action products, obviously disease resistance is one of the things, but man, length of control has sure been another one we've noticed yeah i think that is really speaking to the evolution of fungicides when you you go back to the old quadris days and you know then you know adding in the triazole and really moving into these sdhis it's really that evolution of getting that wider spectrum but also that longer length of residual you know we look at our crops today right we're trying to get a longer season crop out there I think these longer season fungicides are really allowing us to maximize on that genetic potential as well. Well, we've got to be out ahead of things, and, and you don't know exactly when disease is going to strike, so you want to be well well in front of that. Um, you know, when we look at uh, these these products, you're talking about SDHIs now, and, and obviously uh, Syngenta is utilizing SDHIs all the way from seed treatment all the way through these late foliar apps. There, there's a lot of promise with that chemistry. What do you see specifically that that one is adding? What I see the most, you know, focusing, let's say, on a depotin technology, right? That's what we find in our Miravis Neo, our Saltro. First off, it's really how that SDHI works with that plant. So the one thing about SDHI chemistry, they're really, they really love to attach to that wax and stay there. And that's something really unique about SDHIs is getting in that wax and staying put. So that's where we're getting a lot of that length of residual from, because as a plant, as that fungicide moves into that plant, it's gonna start to get metabolized, right? That plant's gonna start to chew it up and actually, you know, start to process it. But when it's staying in that wax, it's staying where a lot of that disease infection is gonna take place. So I think length of residual, but also spectrum. You know, these new SDHI fungicides, especially, you know, adepidin, which is our newest uh, SDHI chemistry, it has a really wide uh, spectrum of disease control. That's why we find it in Saltro seed treatment, you know, as a seed treatment for SDS, but we see, you know, picking up some extra diseases. We're seeing that white mold suppression on the backside. We're seeing longer residual, especially on some of those really tough diseases like frog island spot as well. So SDHIs, they're really, when folks go to that newer class of chemistry, it's really kind of that game changer that a lot of folks have seen that consistency increase across their farm. Well, and, you know, we're looking for return on investment. And from year to year, we have different diseases that pop up. We have different severity levels of those diseases, but we also have different stress levels that the plants are undergoing. And we, we've been talking a little bit about the plant health benefits as well, utilizing some of these products. Uh, it, it's noticeable and it, it does lend towards what you're saying, Zach, the consistency of, hey, I use this product and I see something out of it every year. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the, you know, when, when, you know, growing up, you know, I was, you know, growing up in the age of the you know, the quilt, the quadruses, right? And we never saw, you know, everybody talked about ROI, you know, to an extent. And, you know, you would see a lot of stuff that would say, ah, you know, it works five years out of 10 or something. What I think we see with these SDHI chemistries is you're going to see this working eight, nine, 10 years out of 10, right? And I think that's where this consistency comes in. Also, I think one nice thing that I've noticed with 
growers is you never hear a guy go, well, you know, it worked here, but it didn't, eh, it didn't really work here, you know, unless it got hailed on or something, right? We know what happens in those fields. But um, I think that consistency across the farm is also greatly improved, especially with these newer SDHI chemistries that you find in, you know, Miravis neofungicide. Yeah, it's been really fun to have uh, good choices like this, multiple modes of action just in one jug. It's been super handy, and uh, we've definitely seen the acceptance by farmers. Uh, the The practice has become more common for more farmers over the years, and it's certainly something that on our farm we feel is, is just a no-brainer. We, we just know we're going to get performance out of that. And uh, another comment we always make, our dad would say, I just can't sleep at night if I haven't done the things I know I need to do. And uh, for <laughs> us it, it helps us sleep a little better too zach so uh just something else you might add to your repertoire there of what are what are the benefits of this product you know what it does help farmers sleep better at night too uh, we're talking with zach trower here with syngenta zach thank you so much really appreciate having you on yeah thanks for having me brian zach uh, mentioned a number of things there and one of them was your old favorite white mold and I saw today's topic, soybean fungicides and insecticides, and certainly uh, when it comes to bugs, lots of bugs we could talk about. Stink bugs were mentioned today, aphids, uh, clover worms, loopers, bean leaf beetles, grasshoppers, Japanese beetles, and so many more. Uh, but when it comes to diseases, I think they all pale in comparison to sclerotinia white mold. That's by far the worst disease you can get in soybeans. It's actually the worst disease you can get in several different crops. So when we talk about white mold, and I mentioned this earlier in the show, you might be using the same fungicide in soybeans as you would in other crops. So Endura, for example, I think about as a really good white mold product. Now, granted, it's really expensive. You're talking like $45 an acre for the full 11-ounce rate. But we use it on our farm. We just don't use it on every acre. We use it on the... 10%, maybe 20%, depending on the year in which fields we've rotated to, but that 10 or 20% where we've had a history of white mold. Then we're willing to invest the money because we have literally lost 90 bushels to the acre on soybeans. Seriously, it's terrible. We've gone from 90 bushel beans to nothing where we had white mold. So yeah, that's the worst one. You want to make sure you're stopping that. And that's kind of in its own category. And then basically I look at almost everything else. We do recommend for everything else, typically at least, three modes of action if you can. So we're usually talking triazol, SDHI, and strabilurin. So the triazol is group three, SDHI is group seven, strabilurin is group 11. Now, when we get to white mold, we look at uh, triazol, like Domark, for example, that's uh, group three. We look at Endura, that's an SDHI, that's group seven. There's also Cobra, that's a herbicide that for whatever reason, when we spray Cobra, we have less white mold, period. If we spray it at the right time, you got to spray just before flowering or just as you see the first flower in the field. But you spray Cobra and you don't have to use the full rate. Use the $5 rate. Use the six ounce rate. Uh, it, it works pretty good. But anyway, then there's another product that we talk about quite often in uh, when spraying for white mold in soybeans and other crops, Topsin, that's a group one. So that's not in those same three modes of action we're using in just about every other crop, the Triazol, SDHI, Strobe, or group three, group seven, group 11. Again, Topsin's a group one. So anyway, you, you got a few choices there that you could certainly use in soybeans and again, in most other crops as well. The Big difference here, because you meant you brought up insects, Darren, and then there's disease. With insects, 
usually we want you scouting first and then spraying when you see a threshold level. And by threshold level, we're talking an economic threshold level, not just a threshold level. It's all based on economics. So if you're already out there making a trip, you can spray something that costs, let's, let's call it 2 or $3. Well, you don't have to have very many bugs at all. As opposed to if you had to make a special trip with an expensive machine and you had to spend a whole bunch of money on the insecticide, well, now you got to have a lot more bugs to justify that treatment. Okay, so it's an economic threshold. But anyway, scout for insects. For disease, unfortunately, you can't scout first. If you scout, you see the disease, and then you spray, well, you've already given up a bunch of your yield. So you have to be preventative. You have to be early. You have to be planning ahead. You can't be reactive to disease. Now, you can be a little bit reactive based on the season. So if you see, oh, it's a wetter year, cooler year, I'll spray. If it's a drought year, I won't. But you got to be ahead of when you see that disease. We'll talk more about soybean fungicides and insecticides and take your calls and questions right after this. Last year's fertilizer cost too much. This year's fertilizer still costs too much. So maybe next year, ahem, maybe next year, instead of paying whatever the market dictates, you should find a new source. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the crop nutrients that are already in your soil so you can use less fertilizer and capture the yield you count on to turn a profit. I said to turn a profit. That's more like it. Learn more at sound.ag. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. 
FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health through awareness, guidance, and action. Together, we can uproot the stigma. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking about soybean fungicides and insecticides. To start the season off, we'd really encourage you to take a look at a good seed treatment. In other words, multiple fungicides, insecticide, inoculant, and other biologicals, or as we call them, natural products. And I was talking to an agronomist this morning, and I said, I love what I get to do every day. You know, you look at a lot of other jobs you could do out there in the world where maybe a company wins and nobody else wins. The the consumer loses. Well, what we get to talk about every day with farmers is agronomy. It's agronomy decisions. And if we as agronomists, so I'm just talking about the industry in general, if as an agronomist, I do a good job, then the farmer is going to make more money. And that's the whole goal. But it's not only that. It's about making the land better, just quality of the food better. I mean, there, there are just so many things where we win if we do the right things. And so anyway, when I was talking to this agronomist, I said, you know, we talk about stuff every day on the radio or on TV every week. And we are talking to farmers and consulting with people all over the world all the time, like on a daily basis, year round. But I just said what I leave a lot of people with that are like, well, I don't know if if you're right on this or that. I'm always like, look, you don't have to believe a word that we say. All we're asking is that you try some of the things we're talking about and prove it out in the field. It's the same thing that Darren and I do, for example, because a lot of times people ask us, well, how do you guys get along on the farm? You know, People say, well, I farm with my brother or my dad or whoever. It's like, yeah, sometimes we have some disagreements. And I go, look, it's pretty simple. Darren and I actually get along great because we settle all arguments out in the field. So no fist fighting or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, not, maybe we did when we were kids, but not anymore. It's always we settle these things in the field. We just want to see. We want to try stuff out. And the big thing I would say is if you're going to try some of these things out, don't do it just one year. Try to do it multiple years. Don't do it on just a tiny little bit of acres. We like splitting a planter, for example, and running across quite a few acres. And then you you get lots of strips. In other words, you get lots of replications out there. And then you can really see, okay, is this paying over here? Or is that paying? But one of the big things that I tell people all the time is if you're only going to spend a few dollars and you're you want a good return on investment, you only need a few dollars back. So, for example, with, let's say it is a fungicide. Well, I, I mentioned Cobra. This is a good example earlier. And if you remember how much I said that cost, it's around five bucks. So I'm telling you, if you've got a white mold problem, or you're worried about white mold, go spray at least in those areas on your farm. Not You don't have to do the whole farm, but in those areas where you've had white mold before, go spend that $5. Okay, well, if you want to track and see if it worked, think about this for a second. Last year, over this last year, beans were around $15. So if you spent $5 and you gained literally one bushel, what's your return on investment? You tripled your money with an investment of, let's say you sprayed in June, you harvested in October. So you invested your money for four months and you tripled your money. Now, if let's say uh, you're 
somebody on Wall Street calls you on the phone and says, hey, I got something where you can invest your money and you'll triple it on average and you only have to invest your money for four months, you'd go, ah, come on, I'm not investing. Yeah, it's got to be some crazy thing, whatever. I mean, it's it, it, that's one bushel. And a lot of times with something like Cobra, we might see five or eight or ten bushels. So here, here's where I'm going with this. If it was a one bushel gain and you did triple your money, are you going to notice that? Are you going to visually see it? No. And even like insecticides, if you remember what I what I mentioned for a price earlier, like the the pyrethroids, like let's take Mustang Max, uh, it, it's three dollars an acre for the full rate, three. So I could gain one bushel on beans, and I, I got five times my money back, five times. And you might say, well, wait a second here. I don't really get five times because I got to figure the application cost. No, you don't. Not if you're out there spraying for something already anyway. And that that's my point here. Sure, if you are making a special trip, then you got to figure your application cost. But if you're already out there spraying and you scout right before you spray and you go, oh, wait a second, let's throw some insecticide into our mix or let's throw some fungicide into our mix. Well, now you don't have that cost of the treatment or that, that application, all you have is the cost of the product. And I just want to encourage you, hey, if you're going to test some of these things, do it multiple years if you can, but especially do it in multiple strips across your farm, multiple situations. But on top of that, you've really got to look close because if you don't look close, it's never going to show up on your yield monitor. I mean, unless there's some dramatic thing. And we do have that happen from time to time. But I could gain five bushels in beans, and it might not show up on my yield monitor. I think it might have been our first year testing fungicides that we had the massive gain with Headline. Uh, well, it was 17 bushels, and I was in the combine when this was happening. So I know for sure what it was. And, yeah, it was Headline. And, by the way, it was Headline at a half rate. And I'm like, oh, my God. Gosh, 17 bushels. But, if but somebody would have told me that, I'd have said, no, you're crazy. It didn't gain 17 bushels. But it was on our farm, and I was in the combine, so I know for a fact that was the case. Yeah, that showed up on the yield monitor, but a normal gain is not. A one bushel, a three bushel, a five bushel gain is not. So please look close. Right, but we left a check strip, and we went out to test and sure enough, it did show up, and it did show up in a big way, and that was enough where I remember talking about that afterwards. It was like, wow, we just paid for all the fungicide we're going to use for quite a while with that kind of return. And you think about that at today's economics, if you happen to have one of those years, oh, my goodness, it would pay for a lot of years of fungicide. So it's just really important. I'm not saying, yeah, like Brian said, I'm not, I'm not saying it either, that, oh, yeah, you're going to have some great big gains out there this year. It may or may not happen. I don't know. But the return on investment doesn't take much of a gain to make that difference. The other thing that I was just thinking about, too, is we talk about fungicides and insecticides. And the reason that we were talking about both of these on the same day is just because they often get tank mixed together. And the nice thing with these fungicides and insecticides is almost all of them can be tank mixed with just about anything else you're doing. So when you're out there, scout the field and take a look. And I often encourage growers, well, I scouted. I didn't see any bugs out there. Okay, just bring some insecticide along. You can always mix it in if you see anything. So at the last minute, scout the field before you start running the, the application equipment through the field. If you start seeing the bugs, you know you're going to be spraying for a while. And for many growers, that means, hey, I'm going to be spraying for the next two weeks. How much scouting are you going to be doing when you're running the sprayer every day? 
probably not that much. So if you see some now and you say, you know what, Uh, this is probably going to be a bad problem here in the next couple of weeks, get out in front of it. You don't have to wait until you see just a ton of feeding out there to spray. Here's the other big reason why we're talking about fungicides and insecticides in the same day. A lot of times when we think about fungicide, it's just, hey, it's a disease thing, and that's the only way we're going to stop disease is with a fungicide. But here's what I want you to think about. If you can prevent injury to your plants, you are going to have less disease. So just as a quick example here, bean leaf beetles in soybeans, they are known to carry bean pod model virus. So will spraying a fungicide help with that? Absolutely it will. But you know what will also help? If you kill the bug before it's feeding on your plant, well, then it can't introduce the disease into your plant. Then there's less need for the fungicide later on. So it's kind of a vicious cycle here. If you don't kill the bug, the bug injects the disease into the plant, or it just flat out opens the plant up. Think about it like for you. If let's say for whatever reason uh, you're working one day and you get a whole bunch of little cuts on you, uh, so you're running through some brush or something, you got a bunch of little cuts, And you go in and you talk to your wife and she says, what? Hey, you better get that washed up. And what do you want to do? You want to try to sterilize all those cuts and maybe bandage them up. Out in your field, you're not going to be able to bandage up all your cuts in your plants. But what you are going to be able to do is put fungicide in there. So in effect, it's like giving you medicine in advance of these things happening, whether that might happen to be hail or bugs or wind damage or anything else. The more your plant gets beat up, the more likely it is to get disease. And then let's talk about one more thing to take this even a step further to make your plant healthier. So hopefully you have less need for the fungicide and insecticide. It's just about raising the best crop possible, have the right nutrition in your soil, have good drainage, do everything else possible to make that crop super healthy, and hopefully it doesn't catch any disease, and hopefully it can fight off bugs on its own without even using insecticide in some cases. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back with multi-year proven results, Torque drives performance. Unique to other biologicals, Torque can be applied with other chemistries. Use Inferro or Side Dress to increase mycorrhizal associations, enhancing root development. Learn more about Torque at thinkbiological.com or contact your local retailer and ask for Torque today. Novozymes BioAg, Think Biological. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um. We'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. At AgPhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. 
That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Head over to your local CNB to get yourself a new John Deere planter or schedule inspections to make sure your equipment is as ready for spring as you are. Visit CNB Operations online at DeerEquipment.com. That's D-W-E-R-Equipment.com. Morton buildings are made to last for generations. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, we are committed to quality. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about soybean, fungicides, and insecticides, and we can sure take your questions on that if you have any. Otherwise, if you have any agronomic question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, and you can email us, radio at agphd.com. It's exactly what David down in northern Louisiana did. He said, hey, guys, I bought a three-point hitch Amazon fertilizer spreader this year. I'm planning on spoon-feeding my corn with urea, then a foliar feed over the top at tassel. I'm just wondering, do you guys prefer liquid or do you for, prefer urea when you're side dressing? Well, we prefer liquid because then we can inject it into the ground if we need to because uh, we don't get a lot of rainfall here. Last year, for example, we went about a month after our nitrogen application in mid or early season, uh, post-emerge, in the soil. Uh, we put it in the soil. We didn't get rain for a month. So had we laid it on the soil surface, that would have been very, very problematic. Uh, urea is fine. I don't, I don't have any issue with urea. Uh, you can use that. I just don't – I guess my, my concern is I don't like throwing it over the top of the crop. I don't like top dressing like a lot of people talk about just because I don't like the leaf burn that can result, especially if there is moisture on those leaves. So you want to make sure the leaves are dry. If you're ever doing top dressing, then you'll have less leaf burn. But th that's the reason why we don't like it, plus the fact that I can't then inject it. And could we go along and cultivate and, and throw some dirt over the top of it? Sure, but I really don't want to cultivate. I'd just as soon use a coulter and do and have less soil disturbance basically so i like the flexibility of the liquid and that's i guess the main reason why we're going that way okay thanks for the question david we appreciate that get this one that came in from derek and he said all right guys i am in north central iowa and i finished planting corn last week on thursday nice so it got done on the the uh, 13th uh he said conditions were warm and dry, and it was beautiful planting into strips that our soil warrior made last fall. 
so that was all great. My question is, what challenges will seedlings like these? And he sent a picture. So this is in the ground two days, and it's already got uh, uh, root coming out of it at least as long as the seed, if not longer. Yep. He said, what challenges will these little guys have? Because our forecast is cool and wet uh, coming up. And I didn't expect they would grow quite this quickly, but wasn't expecting 90-degree weather either. Uh, so I'm wondering, do you think we made the right decision getting in ahead of this this poor weather? Or do you think we're in trouble? Well, um, first of all, only time will tell. I would just say if you're going to be nervous about decisions like this on the farm, then it's going to be it, 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 well. It's rough <laughs> on you mentally if you're going to worry about things like that. I wouldn't worry about it at all. If something bad happens, let's say your crop gets frosted out or whatever, or for some reason the seeds stop growing and die, I, I seriously doubt that's going to happen. But, I mean, if something bad happens, hey, it happens and you got to move on. Um, but every day we're going to make decisions on the farm and we can always look back and second guess whether it's grain marketing should i've thrown the crop in at the right at that particular time should i have waited two weeks we don't know nobody knows um if i was in your position though i'd be tickled pink i'd be super happy that i'm done because now i have time to do a whole bunch of other jobs on the farm when a lot of people are planting so I'd be happy, and I wouldn't worry about it. What what challenges is that seed going to face? It's diseases and insects, just like we talked about on the show today. And then you've also got that concern about frost. So it was interesting. This is probably, I don't know, a month ago, and we got a call from somebody in the southern United States, and they were all worried that the temperature had gotten cold. And I said, okay, well, how big was your corn? And they're like, well, V3. And I said, well, you're fine. You guys are only at like 26 or 28 degrees. You're fine. So the 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 plant inside or the plant that's below the ground, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah, you probably burned off the top growth. So what? It's not a big deal. It's happened to us many times. It'll set you back on maturity just a little bit. But for you in the south, you don't care anyway. It's no big deal. Uh, in terms of yield, it's probably going to be almost 100%, 99, 99.5% yield. You're, you're fine. So with corn, the growing point stays below ground till you get to about V6. So in terms of that frost thing, don't worry about it so much. With soybeans, on the other hand, if your soybeans are up, that's the growing point. The cotyledons, that's the growing point. And then there will be a growing point at basically every, uh, at where every leaf will come out above that and then the buds at the top. So with soybeans, that's part of why we worry so much more about planting soybeans early than we do corn. Now, granted, cotyledons can withstand pretty low temperatures before they're killed off uh, on soybeans. But nevertheless, uh, when you plant early, yeah, frost is always a little bit of a concern here in the northern United States. But uh, yeah, I, I would be happy if I was you and I had gotten my corn in the ground early. And I'd also be happy that it's cold. And here's the reason why. A lot of people get worried and they're like, oh no, the corn's got to sit in the ground for five weeks until it comes up. So what? We've had fantastic yields. I mean, it's fine. It's not going to hurt anything. As long as that, that stuff keeps growing and you did everything you could to protect it from diseases and insects. I mean, like normally when we're planting really early in our farm, in addition to having making sure we have great 
cold germ and great seed treatment. We are putting a little extra fungicide and insecticide out there because we just worry that the seed's going to have to sit in that ground so long and it's going to get attacked by more diseases and more insects. But anyway, yeah, there's nothing more you can do at this point. So just let her go and I think it'll be just fine. I think you're going to be real happy. All right. Thank you. We appreciate the the question there. Good luck to you. Hopefully everything turns out great. Got this one from Dan down in Australia. He said, I'm sending a couple of soil tests your way. Uh, we're raising some high-yielding irrigated alfalfa here in eastern Australia on some leased ground, and and we're, we're getting about 7.5 tons per acre per year, uh, over eight cuttings. But we've got some neighbors that are getting 12. So 12 tons. So we'd like to, to shoot for that. We're putting on 150 to 200 pounds per acre of potash between every cutting. Plus we're putting on a ton of gypsum per acre annually. Uh, our challenge that we're seeing out there, we're suffering from severe purpling leaf. However, I don't think our phosphorus is that low. Uh, we don't want to surface apply. We think we'd be wasting money. So we plan to build the phosphorus up in two years when we rip this paddock up to replant. Uh, so looking for a few things, and I've got a few questions here. First of all, I'd like to drop the gypsum and put that money into more K because we're just getting crazy good results putting on the K. How much yield gain do you think I will see just in pushing my K levels from 4 to 5% base saturation up to 7? Well, according to this, you're at 2.3% base saturation K. So I don't know where the four to five percent is, and going to seven, I, I you got to start by getting to the four to five percent from the way it looks to me. And I, I know it sounds great saying, "Hey, I put on 150 to 200 pounds of potash between each cutting," but I don't know how you, how long you've been doing that or anything else. I'm just trying to say here at this point, it hasn't shown up in the soil test. I uh, I how, I don't know how much rain you get either. I, I will tell you this. He we, said he said they get. Uh, I don't know. He come. Oh, thirty inches of rain annually. Oh, okay. So that's a pretty good and, level. And they've More got irrigation. Uh, so sure. So it, where I was going with this is potash takes a while to break down, and so I don't know if some of the potash you put out there hasn't broken down or what's going on. Um, and your phosphorus. I, I'm not familiar with these two phosphorus tests that you've got, but the one says 57 parts per million. Yeah, I, I mean, for big-time yields, that 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 probably isn't enough. So, But I don't know. I'm not familiar with that particular test and, and what that's, that's really telling me there. So, yeah, Darren just handed this over to me, and so I don't I, – I mean, I'm, I'm – I'm quickly looking through that to see if I can see anything else. Okay, so here are a few specific other things. things. The other things he yeah, asked about are boron. Yep, that's what I was just going to say. Your boron zero point four parts per million. That's way too low. Molybdenum. Yeah, you could use a little bit of molybdenum. That does help with nodulation in legume crops. So that's a big deal. Your zinc levels are quite low. You're talking 1.9 parts per million, and your copper levels, 1.1 parts per million. So it's, what I'm trying to say here is it's not just the P and the K. I'd be focused on a lot of these other things. Would I consider cutting some of the gypsum? Absolutely. I see why you're doing it, because your magnesium is 30%, and that's probably causing some problems, along with the fact that your sodium's 2.2%. So I probably wouldn't totally cut the gypsum, but I may cut back if I need to come up with some dollars to, to, to spread some micros. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate that. And thanks for listening. 
Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.